one thing you'd rather be doing right now, Richard, than recording this podcast? Um, I I think I'd probably rather be at the dentist, on the toilet, in childbirth. <laughs> you want to hear what I'd rather be doing right now? Hit me, hit me. Removing all the chewing gum from every British high street. Legally add the letters K, E and R to the end of my first name. Drinking bleach. Write a biography for Luis Suarez. Have mm. a kidney removed for science. Talk with Graham Souness about anything. Or have the lyrics to You'll Never Walk Alone tattooed onto my face. They're all good options as well. I'd do a number of those, yeah. this week's red voices ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for joining us and as you can imagine it's going to be a rather interesting episode this week coming off the back of sunday afternoons rather interesting six one hammering to of course it had to be jose Mourinho's Tottenham hotspur you've got ewan lennitz and richard can to discuss the absolute failings of the club and board and players on sunday evening and in general but before that richard my friend my darling how are they i'm, I'm not bad actually which is weird <laughs> but you know this is this is part of the problem, isn't it? I was just having a conversation on Twitter just now, kind of saying a while ago United losing would ruin my week, and and, and I went through a period last season, particularly the start of last season, where I just couldn't stomach any football of any description, and now United don't really ruin my hour, really. <laughs> you know, I, I was just quite kind of quite looking forward to the rest of the football tonight, and I, I, I was kind of saying someone else was saying I'm still at the stage where I just can't stand football at, at all. And um, and I kind of said I'm I'm glad I'm I'm through that stage of grieving to the into the just kind of bemused onlooker phase. I mean, after a result like today, after a performance like today, and everything that we've been going through as a club since we sealed that third place finish in the league, today felt like a bit of a perfect culmination of ineptitude bad luck and poor decisions really didn't it it's it's yeah, a perfect yeah. storm of everything that's been going on at united in some ways for many years but also just in this little vacuum uh since the end of the last premier league season you know we've seen united string out a series of transfers and deals for players both in terms of incomings and outgoings We've seen how that's hampered the playing squad. We've seen how United's involvement in the Europa League has really severely hampered preparations for this new season. You've seen the fact that players like Harry Maguire and Wan-Bissaka et al. have struggled. They've had their problems and Paul Pogba's had coronavirus. And the fact that so many of this team looks so severely undercooked so early on in the season. Obviously, we're still starting and trying to get back up to full fitness. But And then you've got, you know tactical limitations of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on the coaching staff and it all just led to today didn't it you know it everything that could have possibly gone wrong leading up to this game went wrong barring a few more injuries to a couple more important players I guess what more can you really say you know it was a complete shit show pretty much from one minute and a half onwards and Mm. it's got some incredible competition over the last seven years but one of the worst performances from united in modern history if not the very worst just in terms of the complete lack of a plan or any ability to close the game down after that it was clear that the result was getting away from us yeah and after we got the best literally the best possible start as well i've been racking my brains oh, an absolute goddamn gift from davinson sanchez there with the yeah, terrible clattering into martial you're just thinking wow god if solid start here you're not you could be two nil up and really put themselves in a good position maybe try and ride this game out yeah but i i've 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 been racking my brains to try and think of a game in which united have been poorer in every single aspect of the game. I mean, one of the, one of the things today, I mean, possibly the biggest thing today, was the fact that United were an absolute tactical shambles from minute two, really, till <laughs> till the end. I mean, not 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 poor tactically, not only being outthought. It, it was like it was like eleven blokes had been stuck on a football pitch and just told to run about and and chase the ball or whatever. You know, I, I made the point to you just before recording that 
2-1 down after about 20 minutes. Wan-Bissaka and Shaw were bombing forward and staying forward as if we were a goal goal down in the last minute of the Champions League final. It was absolutely naive and, and they were doing that because they, they, they're told to do that. You know, the, the, the fullbacks are told to push up high and to push on and essentially it leaves us open to to the counter-attack and, and, and Tottenham absolutely ruined us in those in those from those wide areas but I mean it's absolutely everything it was you know the fact that United that, 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 that Solskjaer persists in encouraging United to play through the back and play through the press when it's been patently obvious for a very 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 long time that neither the goalkeeper nor the centre-backs are capable of doing it no and you know again that contributed to a goal by messed up the, the pass out from the back it's so easy to play against United. The biggest kind of criminal thing, apart from the way we were set up, for me, was the fact that at whatever it was, 4-1, or whatever it was, 3-1, 4-1, down to 10 men, and Oli didn't change anything. Absolutely nothing. <clears throat> and it's like, he, it's like he thought, if we just stay this way, something different will happen. You know, even at half-time, he made two changes, but it was too late. It was done by then. It was already over. And we can complain about the sending off, and I think I think it's my feeling on that is that you either send both of them off or you send neither of them off. But let's not pretend that United were anything other than abject at that point, and and would have gone out and won that game because I really don't think they would. Now, I mean, if we're going to go back, you know, sequentially, Bruno nails the penalty as you knew he would, and you're thinking United are off to an incredible start, great piece of luck. We looked quite direct for the first ninety seconds or so, but then. Oh, I mean, how many clearing headers did we miss in going in for that Ndombele goal? That was mm. that was Marx Brothers. That was Charlie Chaplin. That was yeah. Buster Keaton. That that was slapstick at his absolute best. You know, Maguire undercooking two headers and then knocking Luke Shaw down when he was on the cusp of trying to clear it. It's just... Mm. I mean, Harry Maguire was culpable for at least three four of these goals this evening and he has started off this season in torrid torrid form and sympathy is not necessarily on tap despite the fact that i know that he's had a tricky summer with what happened in mikonos but you know for 80 million pounds it's not just the lack of defensive organization and the lapses that we've seen so far this season that have seen us concede so many goals in the league which now sits at 11 in three games with minus six goal difference. And only two teams in the entire league have got worse than that. And we played one game less than most teams as well. It's just the complete lack of leadership. You know, the inability to get a simple header back to De Gea for the first goal. Yes, he files Harry Kane in the build-up to the Son goal. And it's not just him, but it's the lack of anyone taking responsibility for Son's positioning. Baye's nowhere near him, but no one's telling the other guy to keep an eye on the runner and to stop that opportunity. And Son does really well with that goal and he clips it nicely beyond De Gea. But at that point, you are... I mean, I can't recall seeing United look so dangerously open and vulnerable in a space of 10 minutes and mm. there was a period after that for about I don't know 10 minutes or so we United kind of regathered themselves to an extent you know there was the shot that Rashford hit that was off the post which ended up being offside but it looked like United were starting to recompose themselves to an extent but once that red card happened it, it was United were all at sea. You know, we we were already on the cusp of falling apart, and there were several opportunities prior to the corner which led to that red card. But by that point, it really was starting to crumble. Mm. I mean, it's, it's difficult to know where to start, isn't it? You know, you've talked about Harry Maguire there, and I still come back to what I said after the after the, the Crystal Palace game, in that United have had the worst summer preparation that they'll ever have. Probably that almost any club will ever have. You know, I mean, if you go, if you go through the list again, they had no preseason. Pogba had coronavirus, had Maguire was in a cell, Greenwood was a tit and then had to quarantine. Wan-Bissaka cleared off to Dubai and then had to quarantine and couldn't train immediately. And and no new players until part of the way through September. No, and, and also the fact, I mean, you think you could see today in Spurs, and, and again, this it's not mitigation because United, in any circumstance, were so tactically and individually and whatever poor that, that Spurs did, would have won that game could by a margin regardless mm. but Spurs are a team who've played they must be on a sixth seventh game this season at the very least because they've had they've had three Europa League ties they've had an extra I think an extra Premier League game 
in some semblance of a pre-season. So, you know, essentially there probably are five, six, seven games ahead of us. And you and just everything they did was very sharp today, I thought. Even though United were, you know, abysmally abject, I, th- I think Spurs just looked like a team who were really fit and really up to speed and in form and sharp and knew what they were doing mm. against the team who clearly aren't and who, and who clearly didn't know what they were doing. I don't want to call it mitigation because we didn't deserve anything but a whomping there but you know that clearly that is a problem but you know we look back to Brighton last week United could have you know if we're being honest United could have conceded six in that game and on most days we lose that game and on most on most most days we, we we concede five or six goals in that game I mean not it not we don't lose it we we concede five or six and we've conceded five or six again and and we were thoroughly beaten by Crystal Palace at home mm. you know who who got absolutely an absolute hiding from Chelsea yesterday? You know we are we are deeply 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 in the shit. <laughs> you know what what can you say? I, I'm just at a point where, like, like I said, I feel like I feel like a bemused onlooker just watching it, and it's almost funny. You know the, the the kind of the team and the club have been hollowed out to the degree which they to which they have by the ownership and by everything that's happened over the last fifteen years, and it's it does it's almost completely pointless microanalyzing that performance today <laughs> because it, it was. What does that tell us? It just it just tells us that everything we knew was wrong with the club is wrong with the club. It looked like a team with no backbone. It looked like a team with no confidence, with no direction. And I think I think almost the most pertinent thing is, you know, we had Luke Shaw last week, and Luke Shaw would admit that he's probably admit that he's not been a world class fullback recently, and that United probably needed another another left back. But he was basically imploring the club to buy players, to buy better players. Because he knows we need better players, but if you're, if you're the, those United players over the summer, and, and they would have thought, you know, maybe we're getting Jaden Sancho, maybe we'd get, you know, doing this or doing that, then it's going to have dawned on them that, you know, really, the club doesn't have the competence or the the will to, to actually do any better. And so if you're the if you're the players and you you've gone into the summer thinking, you know, we finished that season really really well, we're in a position to kick on here, then nothing happens. Then I think that takes the that takes the wind out of your sails, and I think a lot of them look, a lot of them are playing like they feel like they've been sold a pup when they've joined. They'll have been given the spiel about where we're going, what what Ollie's plans are, what we're going to do, what we you know we aim to get back to the top of the English football and win win trophies and everything else. And I think they're probably realising that that isn't the direction that the club really has any interest in going in. Well, here's a fantastic example of that. During the summer, we were hearing about the fact that Paul Pogba was a bit happier and he was looking, you know, Raiola was dropping hints that there was potential of a new deal being signed. That trail has gone very, very quiet over the last month, hasn't it? Mm. I mean, I, I, I can't blame him for that either. I, you know, there is a certain element when you look at what the club constantly talks about and how it briefs and the Sancho transfer is a fantastic example for what it says it will do or what it can do what it likes to pretend it can do and what it actually does Mm. and this summer was of course we're having issues with coronavirus of course as a club that relies and brings in you know many millions of pounds for every single home game we're suffering as a result of COVID-19 you know we're not but no other club is immune to that Plus, no other club has to service owners and debt on the level that we have. You know, it was so, it's so false to hear us talk about how, you know, to see reports and how United are saying, well, you know, fans seem to be more aware of the fact that we're obviously losing a lot of money due to COVID. Yeah, we know every single club is. Clubs are in danger of going out of business, but most clubs aren't owned by the Glazers. This is still one of the biggest problems and it's something that is going to be incredibly difficult to fix and it's almost unsolvable until you get someone to come in who's going to be able to afford the club. You know, that's a whole different story. But, but look, 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 this know, is the right thing, now... This is the thing about the Sancho thing, okay? I said to you, and I think I said on the pod at the start of the summer, that, that having looked at United's last set of accounts, I couldn't understand how we were going to afford to, to buy Jaden Sancho. And I just couldn't see how it was doable. Now, United have either spent the summer trying to do a deal they knew they couldn't do and basically briefing that they were trying to do a deal they, they couldn't do. Or they just just genuinely thought that Dortmund might... Dortmund would buckle. 
might just say no, have him for half the price or something. I just, I don't understand. But uh, I think the most galling thing is what we've seen today. We, we've seen two things in the last two days that have come out of the club. The first one was that it was yesterday and the club briefed a number of the um, sort of Magpac journalists that United had been incredibly hit incredibly hard by COVID. And so this summer's transfer spend was never going to be in line with previous summers. Now, even if we assume that we've spent as much as we should have done in previous summers, that means they've they've essentially deliberately given the impression all summer that there was a chance that we could sign Jaden Sancho when we couldn't. And the second one was, to, I think it was this morning, and there was a there was a line which has clearly come from Ashton straight out of United PR that Edward Ward's going to have to ha- have extra security over the next few days, and that the, the fans really don't understand the financial situation the club's in. Well. They might have understood it if you hadn't been f-ing lying about Jaden Sancho all summer. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, but whatever, you know, to, to, to basically to basically turn around when you've been really shit at your job, really shit at your job and play the martyr because Gary Neville criticises you on telly. I mean, the Gary Neville comments were an absolute disgrace talking about the effect of what Neville's been saying. He yeah. has been mild in comparison with what most United fans are saying, and other United-related pundits has been saying over these last few weeks, to have a go at him and to square out his criticism of the club of late is absolutely repugnant. And it's so false. It's ridiculous. The repugnant bit isn't trying to refute them or saying or coming out and saying, you know, we disagree. This, this isn't right. The repugnant bit is coming out and, playing, and painting yourself literally as a victim a victim of somebody giving their opinion about your performance mm-hmm. and, and, and and implying that as a result of that perfectly given opinion, perfectly fairly given opinion, that your physical safety could be in danger. As if fans can only, can only have opinions if Gary Neville or somebody else on TV tells them what they are. Mm-hmm. As if fans haven't watched the last however many years, you know, even 15 years, and watched the money that's gone out of the club and the way it's, you know, the way it's been run and what happened after Ronaldo was sold or whatever... You know, as if as if the fans haven't seen that and don't have a reasonable opinion on the way the club's being run, because quite clearly, results of the last seven or eight years, even given the expenditure after the money that's gone to the banks and the Glazers and everybody else, f-ing appalling, <laughs> absolutely, genuinely abject. And if I was running that, I'd be embarrassed, genuinely be embarrassed. And if it was me, I'd keep my head down, shut up, don't say anything, and just try to do better. But to play the victim in it is just absolutely astonishing. I'm saying this like I'm angry. I'm not angry. I, I'm I'm kind of past that. I'm I'm just I'm in this kind of more be- than anything else I'm by just, the sound of it. I'm just kind of in this bemused place of of I almost don't care anymore. I almost don't care about what happens on the pitch anymore. But the way the club behaves sometimes, and the way the way the club communicates, and the things they say, and to delegitimise perfectly good criticism by by painting yourself as a victim is just it's absolutely abhorrent Mm. one of the things that became apparent to me as woodward decided to throw his lot in with Solskjaer and back him as much as he did last summer and potentially hold on to him and you know provide him with quote unquote the best basis for trying to make united a success is that Woodward had kind of run out of excuses when it came to getting rid of managers. With Moyes, all right, that decision was out of his hands because that was left to Ferguson at all, and we all agree that was a mistake. With Van Gaal, there's an argument to say that despite some issues in the market, he underperformed. With Mourinho, there's the argument to say that he made his position completely untenable with the way that he toxified the training ground and the club itself and didn't get what he wanted and burned the place down as he was trying to get his way out. With Solskjaer, yes, he is limited in some ways in terms of his tactical acumen and his ability to get this team playing in a disciplined style and a consistent style. But fans have never been more aware of United's failings in terms of the way they brief, in terms of the way they act in the transfer market. And it's gotten to the point now where most fans, I would say, if Solskjaer goes within the next six months, 
there will be a certain level of understanding that perhaps he wasn't the best man for the job. But I don't think you will ever see a manager in modern times at Manchester United get as much sympathy for losing their job as you would with Oli. And that is purely down yeah. to the way the club has been run and the decisions that Judge and Woodward et al. are making. They are running out of places to hide. And I'm not saying that this is going to provoke some massive change because, as we all know, if we're talking about big change, it starts first and foremost with the Glazers and getting better people to run slash own the club. And again, mm. you know, if we're talking about that change, the only people who can realistically do that are far more morally shady than the ones that we currently have. Mm. That's a discussion for another time. But one interesting thing that you said, because I, I agree. I mean, if we're going to talk quickly about the rest of that Spurs game, let's just rattle through some of those goals. All right. So you mentioned the pressing goal, the third goal, 3-1. United can't play out from the back. Harry Kane scores. The fourth goal, what is it? Sergio Arieta son, he hits it across goal, 4-1, Bosch. Fifth goal, Sergio Aurier again. I mean, Luke Shaw spent the entirety of that game not really getting... Pretty much the entirety of the game after Martial was red-carded, not really spending any time closing his man down on the left-hand side. He was so narrow. That whole no. back four was so narrow after the red card. It was so strange. I don't know what We do that anyway, like though. That. We did that at Brighton as well. If You you mm. know, at Brighton, they, the number of times that, that Wan-Bissaka particularly got two got too narrow and left the, the either the fullback or the or the, the winger or whoever was in that position at any given time within twenty yards of space. And even when we even when Ollie changed it and brought the third centre back on and, and with the intention of, of literally forcing, physically forcing Wan Bissaka further out wide, he still mm. just kept playing at the edge of the box. You know, and it's just it's just the same thing again. Well, and then you talk about the fifth goal sure again way wide Pogba nowhere near him either and then he's allowed to sort of waltz in and fire in number five and the penalty I mean singling out Pogba for having a terrible performance seems a bit trite in the sense that no one had a good performance in that game but what a tired tackle desperate tackle on Ben Davies for Harry Kane to score the sixth by that point obviously the game had long gone and United were well beaten and hadn't really created anything for the rest of that game and you know, the perfect cherry on top of a shit Sunday to be torn to shreds by a team managed by Jose Mourinho, the ultimate indignity in the modern era. Good grief. I mean, at that point, you're right. By 4-1, by 5-1, by 6-1, I was kind of numb to it because it was just like, yeah, sure, Spurs are going to score more goals here. There's no way we're getting back mm. into it. So it just became damage limitation. United were completely incapable of limiting the damage. And we'll get on to signings in a little bit, but it doesn't look good. You know, it looks like Oli is completely incapable of keeping that side together. It looks like there's a complete lack of leaders. It looks like there's a complete mm. lack of plan to cope with situations and be reactive. We get results like this every now and then. Every, you know... 18 months maybe two years or a year if we're being super trite about it we get a result like this or a performance like this where everything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong we have individual errors we make stupid decisions some players are clearly wildly undercooked or just in terrible form it's not a complete outlier that we get a game like this the problem is at this stage i don't know what ollie can magically do to try and turn this around but it's not an individual game you is it it's not an individual game. The first three games haven't haven't been quite as bad. Well, we'll say result, been... you know. But I mean, I I almost feel like this result isn't any isn't worse than losing three one at home to Palace and probably deserving to lose by more. You know, uh, <clears throat> all three performances have been absolutely pathetic. The difference has been that United got very lucky last week, and and Palace were well, aren't as good as Spurs. That's that's where it comes down to, you know. And we we, we you know we've beaten Luton reserves. And, and I think it was actually a decent performance on uh, in the week against Brighton, even with them making a few changes. You know, for for the for the team we put out to have put out that perform that performance, I think was pretty pretty creditable. But yeah, it's half decent. These are the games that matter, aren't they? These these are the league games that matter. These are the games that they prioritise the preparation for. And I can't defend Ollie because it's been absolute tactical shambles, a tactical shambles, motivational shambles. There's nothing. Everything could have been done poorly has clearly been done poorly yeah and well thing is when when decisions like removing Victor Lindelof from the line of fire completely justly after that terrible performance at Palace oh. and a rather not too encouraging performance against Brighton Eric Bailly the decision to put him in the central defense next to Harry Maguire blew up in his face spectacularly today didn't it and I don't know how much of that is on Ollie and how much personal responsibility he takes for that it did but... it did it did but I feel for Bailly because 
unfortunately, and, and I don't, I don't think Harry Maguire is as bad as his recent performances have been. But unfortunately, at the moment, he's a bit of a clown show. It's you know, he is, isn't he? And, and and essentially, it was it was his mistake that allowed Spurs to get back into a game they shouldn't have been in. They sh- you know, they shouldn't have been able to get back into it at that point. And he. You know, by his come in, he's played one game. He's not played a lot of football for the last two seasons. And and the guy who's supposed to be the rock beside him, who's supposed to be the leader of that defence, is, is one of the biggest clown shows on the pitch. <laughs> so from, from that perspective, and if you're not you're not up to speed yourself, I really did feel for Baye. I thought I thought Baye played really, really well on uh, at Brighton in the week. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I just think that to, to put him back in that game next to a Maguire who's, who, who was as abject as that, it's... It's perhaps not fair to turn any heat on Bailly because I think, I mean, honestly, if I looked at those four defenders today, even though Bailly's pass led to a goal, I think he was probably the least culpable defender on the pitch in mm. red. Honestly, I do. I think it's time for a quick break after that, Rich. What do you reckon? Yeah, do it. We have a small favour to ask, friends. If you're enjoying the show, please help spread the word. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or any podcast app you use. It's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners, and it would be hugely appreciated. Right, before we talk about new signings, of which there are pretty much two that have been all but confirmed and a couple of exits, Rich, there's one thing that I saw you bring up on Twitter earlier on that I'd like to discuss in a little depth before we uh, progress because you know at this stage you know we know united have had a rubbish start to the league season despite being through to the quarterfinals of the carabao cup you know it's been pretty abject and obviously without fans everything feels worse but something you were discussing with uh andy tomo from the uh red mancunian podcast was how much of an effect the current situation and united's running and this level of performance is going to have on people being willing to chuck money at a season ticket when quite unquote all this is over and I'm wondering now because of the way United are run and because of this outlier situation that we have with fans being unable to be in the stadium for potentially you know it could be the best part of a year in the end because we're seven months in it doesn't look like we're any closer to be able to get full capacity at Old Trafford United are really, really banking on the loyalty of their season ticket holders now with the way things are going. And I'm really starting to wonder just if they're aware of how much fire that they're playing with at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I th- the, the point was initially raised by um, by Rick. I think his name's Turner. He, do- he's, he does the uh, the artwork for the front of um, United We Stand. Yeah. And, and he, it was him who raised it. He, you know, he said, <clears throat> he said he's genuinely starting to think that perhaps from his perspective as well, but certainly from people he'd spoken to, that despite the Glazers, despite the knowledge that a lot of the people's money was going to places that weren't the football team, people keep going because because it's habit, because it's something they do with their mates, it's something they, they do with their pet, with their family or their, their dad or their mum or whatever. And it's a routine. It's, it's something they've done for years on a Saturday. And the idea of, of giving that up for a lot of people, I think, is really psychologically difficult. It's a hurdle to overcome. I mean, how do you, how do you give up something that's literally been your routine at a weekend for, and, and midweek as well sometimes, for, for 10, 20, 30 years, whatever? You know, even with everything that's gone on, the vast majority of people, that, you know, there will be people who still go, they still love the crack, they love their mates, they love just supporting United, whatever. But there will be a lot of people who are thinking again about that. And the point he made is that the people have forcibly been stopped from going to United and they've developed new habits for weekends and they've seen that life not going to the match isn't actually that bad. And in some cases, possibly better. Some of our uh, listeners might follow um, Steve Armstrong on, on Twitter, you know, went home and away for absolutely years, sold and wrote for United We Stand and, you know, one of the kind of most notable match-going United fans, away fans, certainly. About 18 months ago, he decided he was going to pack it all in, bought with, with others a racehorse, and now now he goes racing instead of United, and he said he's never been happier. And, you know, he said he was just sick of sick of giving money to something that, that was making him angry every weekend. And I think they'll do, they'll, obviously not everybody has the money to buy a racehorse or 
you know, that has that inclination. But there will be a lot of people who spent their weekends with their parents or they've done other stuff with their friends or they've, they've spent more time with the kids and they'll just be thinking, you know what, this isn't bad. This is all right. And do I want to go back to shoveling thousands of pounds into Manchester United when I know a large portion of it doesn't go on footballers and a large portion of that which does go on footballers is just wantonly wasted? Why would I keep on doing that? And I think that's, I don't know what I, don't know what I hope. I don't know what I hope for. But it would not surprise me if United suddenly found when they eventually come to renewing season tickets, possibly for next season, they suddenly find that half of their half of their season ticket holders don't renew. I don't know if it's going to be as many as half, but I certainly do think the numbers won't be quite as strong as they are expecting slash hoping. And I think a large Mm, part of that has to do with, yes, people have formed different habits as a result of lockdown, etc. But also their handling of the club and the way that they treat the fans and the way that they continue this PR I mean it's having effects it's really unedifying as we've said several points this evening and it is going to cause damage if they don't get a handle on it and I would have much more respect and maybe not respect but I would certainly appreciate the club a little bit more if they didn't go trying to swing their massive financial phallus around the place like they have been doing this summer in particular, if it turned out that we're here 24 hours away from the deadline, sorry, the transfer deadline day, and we still haven't bought the player that we were talking about signing for the last 12 months, you know, it, it's it's farcical. And, you know, if we're going to get onto signings now, at the current state of play, we're looking at bringing uh, Alex Telis and uh, Edinson Cavani in. Now, as part of a whole transfer strategy, if you were going to do these deals a month, six weeks ago or so, or whenever, they would make sense to me to a certain extent. I don't know if we were over-reliant on Martial or Rashford, but I think there's certainly a degree. We've seen when we brought Igalo on for these Carabao Cup games and perhaps towards the end of last season where we were seeing his limitations, you know, more the player that we thought we were going to get when we loaned him as opposed to the man that was, you know, blasting in goals against LASK. Cavani coming in on what is looking like a one-year deal with an option to extend for a further year without any transfer free. Obviously, the uh, the agent fees aren't exactly ideal, but it, it made sense to me. I'm not necessarily sure I would have gone for it myself, but I'm not paid to make those decisions, so there we go. I'm not against it. Yeah. Alex Talese as a left-back in a problem area that we keep having where Luke Shaw is neither good enough, either defensively or attacking-wise, in terms of being able to cross the ball or find a decent man Again, that makes sense. The fact that we've been haggling ever since the defeat to, blimey, I think it was Palace, we've been haggling with FC Porto for a fee. For a player that obviously his his deal runs out in a year's time, so United are worried about overpaying. But we spent another while getting that player in. This is not the work of a club that has a well-rounded transfer strategy. And I know, I know that if a United executive heard this, they would be rolling their eyes and saying, you don't know what it's like to try and complete transfers in the middle of a global pandemic. That's right. But I can see other clubs doing a fucking better job than we are. It's not as difficult as it's been made out to be. It absolutely is not. And this is not the workings of a club that has a really planned out transfer strategy. It's turning into scattergun. Even if Sancho comes in tomorrow, and we're not going to record on the basis of that anyway... I don't know how much that changes things either because United needs some serious work. If we're talking about small things from the ground up right now, Rich, I mean, what what has Ole got to do to turn this result around now? To try and get things ready for when we play Newcastle in 13 days' time? What has to happen? Well, I mean, it's going to be difficult. I know he's he said today about having lots of time to prep and, and whatnot, but the reality is that a large portion of his squad will be pissing off around the world for... 10 or 12 days playing for their countries he'll probably get some back injured so he hasn't he hasn't got a lot of time to do tactical work he can't really do conditioning work got to be honest my my first my first reaction to reaction to the two signings today obviously the time the timing was of of the uh, announcement of Tellez was poor but I I don't think people give a shit somebody somebody said to me today who would if, if Ollie went who would you like to be your next manager and my honest answer is I don't care what because does it change? What does it change? What does it change? Term? Nothing. What does it change? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. I don't. I don't give the next guy any chance, any more chance than I give Ollie. You know, even if we brought Pochettino in, if you think Pochettino is going to win the title with this United side, 
with this squad, with these, this structure at the club. <clears throat> you know, I know we both ultimately despised Mourinho and, and he absolutely deserved to get canned. All right, careful, you might say something you can't take back, Richard. Well, no, no, only from the perspective of, you know, we know the conditions weren't ideal. The problem, the problem, the problem for Mourinho was that in, in the face of, in the face of conditions that weren't ideal, he basically just did a dirty protest at the mm. club and turned everything to shit. Now, Oli hasn't, Oli hasn't done that. He's, he's too subservient to have, <clears throat> to have done that. But I think the, I think the consequence of, for a lot of the players of seeing that for another summer has been pretty negative. It must have got Ollie down too. You know, in terms of Tellez as a left back, I can tell you he's a lot of fun. But if you want a left back who's going to be defend really well, it's probably not your man. He'll get his fair share of assists and goals and whatnot. He's a productive, very productive fullback going forwards. But from what I've seen of him, he's not he's not the best defensively, which isn't to say it's bad signing at all. I think for the money, it's actually quite a sound signing. It's 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 very little money for an international left back of his quality. If we'd done this deal two weeks ago, then I'd probably be saying, you know, that's not a bad pickup, and now on to the next. The Cavani signing, again, Cavani might be useful for us, but it's smacks of, as you said, not having a plan to this point, or, or having a, a bad plan, or, or not being able to execute the plan that you thought you could execute, and then just doing something desperate at the end. And you're looking at a guy who was in has been in talks with both... Benfica and Atletico Madrid and it was at the point where it was being reported that he was going to join and then both deals fell through because he and his agent were asking too much money that doesn't suggest that that's a guy who is desperate to play for United or any big club you know to to play for Atletico Madrid or whoever it's it tells you there's a guy and his agent who are looking for a last big payday before the gravy train stops it's not to say that Cavani won't do well for us he might he really might because he's been a terrific player well in terms of time but he's had a lot Richard, of problems as well Martial's going to be suspended so it's probably not a bad time to have a half yeah, decent striking option fit. up front mm, yeah but he's not true. fit he's not played since March he's not played a game of football since March you know he he's not going to be ready for I don't know two or three weeks I, I can almost see I would not no, surprise me in the slightest what we've got now well no it, it, actually what, what I was thinking and it wouldn't surprise me at all is if if we start at Newcastle, possibly with Van Baek as almost like a false nine, almost like, almost sort of kind of like a withdrawn forward. Um, that's all I can all I can think of, really. You know, if you push Rashford up there, there's no one to play on the left unless we do something remarkable in the next 24 hours. I, I struggle to really be that bothered by what's happening in the transfer market because I just don't think it matters. I, I, I can't get past the fact that the club have been lying to everybody all summer and are playing victim now. You know, if they if they yeah. said at the start of the summer, look, we we intended to buy Jaden Sancho, and Jaden Sancho would, has told us he would like to join us, but we've lost. I think the figure they've they've suggested today is 165 million, and I don't know whether how accurate that is, but it, it wouldn't surprise me given that we've been paying the wage bill for six months without a portion, a decent portion of our income and no match day income. But if you're honest, then I'm not saying everybody would understand because they wouldn't, but. Some people would would just say, you know what, I get it. Just do do your best, do what you can with the money you've got, which is which is kind of what Spurs have done. Levy has pushed the boat out to kind of give him what he wants, and he's they've done some intelligent transfer business, I think. Whereas United's transfer business, as always, often looks a bit brain dead. Yeah, I mean, I, I say, you know, I don't I don't want to be Captain Hindsight, but like you know, last summer. I was happy that Maguire came in. I, I was happy that Juan Bissaka came in. I st- really, I, t- I still think those two players are really good players, and and, and in the right frame of mind, and the right condition, and the, and in and the right manager or whatever, they 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 could do really well, and they have done really well for United for periods. You know, Dan James hasn't worked out fine, but we needed to spawn, spend more than that last summer, and we could have done. And then this summer we couldn't have done, and we just weren't we not we've not been smart, and and we've lied. But but coming, I'll, I'll, I'll go around in circles. I don't I don't really care. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is this is always the impact of a result like this, isn't it? You know, it gets you thinking in very fatalistic terms, as if you needed any to consider the effects of the Glazers and their ownership, and as if we need any reminding about the way Ed Woodward and Matt Judge haphazardly run things when it comes to transfers and the club's business and its dealings. You know, it, a result, as I said, where... All of the decisions, all of, in some ways, bad luck, but also the poor planning has really come back to bite United in the arse. And 
I think Ollie, I think the players and I think the coaching staff have got some real work on now with the fixture list coming up after this next international break to try and put a bit more of a positive spin on what remains of this first half of the season. It's not going to be easy. You know, we saw the Champions League fixtures released this week. United have got a filthy group with Paris Saint-Germain, RB Leipzig and Istanbul Basahexa here. It's not going to be easy whatsoever. You know, United are going to be stretched and we've got a really nasty looking tie against high-flying Everton in end of December in the Carabao Cup. You know, there's a lot of tough games coming between now and, the, and Christmas time if football obviously goes on that long. And... You know, Ollie mentioned it a little bit in his post-match press conference and he fronted up, he apologised, he said it was his fault, you know, he said it wasn't good enough and I appreciate that about him, but it's whether or not he and the people that are working with him have the capability to look at the current tools that we have available and shore things up. Yes, we know that almost every single player on that pitch can be playing up to a higher level than they're currently producing. You look at the reaction that Ferguson provided when we got beat 6-1 by City in the 2011-2012 season. Up to that point, United had been absolutely flying. They were thrashing teams left and right. Once they got beaten by City, Ferguson reined that team completely in and we started to play really miserly football for most of the rest of that season. It almost bore fruit. You know, we were one goal away from winning the league title. All right, we were rubbish in the Champions League. But for the most part, we really battened down the hatches and became much more difficult to break down, even if we weren't scoring a lot of goals. I don't know whether or not Solskjaer is capable of getting that out of this side because United have to lock that defence down and they have to be far better drilled, more aware, and they have to trust each other more than they currently are. They're not talking to each other. There's barely any leadership in that team and that is not an easy thing to fix. And that is why I'm so concerned about where this season goes from here, whether or not Solskjaer has got the gumption and the ability to get this side back on track now, because this is a big blow. It's a terrible result. It was an absolutely awful performance. And he has got some real work with his coaching staff to try and turn this around now, but it's going to be such a big amount of work and now and ability required to respond to this in a productive fashion. And the jury is realistically and reasonably out on to whether or not he's capable of doing that. And that's completely fair enough. You know, we'll see what happens mm. between now and the end of the transfer window. But a result like today just hammers home the fact that we are a club run by people who have no interest in getting Manchester United back to the top of the footballing tree. Run by people who have no real clue of what they're doing, who are incredibly good at spinning words and lies and webs to suit their own agenda as opposed to what's actually in the best interest of the club but one good thing that happened today rich one good thing one really good thing do you know what it was it was it the liverpool conceded seven at villa now that's true we'll come back to that in a minute it was the fact that the women's team had another really goddamn good performance again today they yes, played they brighton yes. yeah yeah they uh Brighton, who managed a really credible nil-nil draw three weeks ago against Manchester City, and they were pretty great. You know, it was a bit hairy at times, but United weren't gifted as much respect by Brighton as they offered to City. So there was much more space for us to go into. We created several great chances. Tobin Heath, Kristen Press and Lucy Staniforth all made their debuts in the second half. Elatoon got a penalty in the first half. Alicia Russo was incredibly impressive and scored a second goal on a solo run. It was really great stuff. And then Jane Ross got a little touch on the header for the third. United look United under Casey Stoney looked really impressive. And I keep saying this every time I talk about it. I'm going to keep reiterating it. Watch this team. They're playing Liverpool on Wednesday night in the Conti Cup. And it's going to be really interesting to see where things go on from there. I'm excited again about this season. Get on top of it. Yeah, and it's not, and it's not just the women's team as well. One of the, I don't know, one of the weird <clears throat> contradictions of this, of this, this United at the moment is the, the, the continuing really aggressive, really impressive recruit recruitment of the uh, youth level. We are going mad. I understand why we're going mad. We're going mad. I, I suspect because when this transitional agreement for leaving the EU ends essentially unless there's some sort of agreement made with FIFA and with with the EU that relates to football and I'm not sure there will be then we're, we're not going to be able to to sign foreign players under the age of 18. But we haven't talked about this this young Uruguayan lad Facundo Palestri but I suppose we can come on to that after this but 
But in terms of the, the youth group levels, what we've done is we've stockpiled an enormous number of really talented players between about 15 and 18 or 19. And we've signed five or six this summer, really, really high quality, highly rated kids from some from Spain. Um, it looks like we're signing um, very highly rated young centre-back from um, Sochaux in France. We've got so many players at that level now that we're essentially having to almost pick two teams for you know for alternate games. The under-23s are struggling in terms of results, but that's because we're playing basically 16 to 19-year-olds at, at, in, in the under-23s. And all of these things are really promising for the future of in terms of player development. I mean, there are, there are I would say there are four or five players in in the current under 23 team not including guys on loan like like James Garner who I I think have got a chance of being first team footballers at United and we've seen we've seen two of them basically promoted to the the senior squad in in Tedemengi and Ethan Laird who I think have both really got a chance but there's there's more there there's Anthony Langer and um, Hannibal Medjbri and I quite like the uh, the defender Will, um, Will Fish as well. There's an enormous amount of talent, and I just I, it's, I doesn't I don't understand this enormous disconnect between the way they've built the women's team, the way that they they've scouted and recruited for the academy, and then the absolute shit show that it is, is their equivalence at senior level for the. For I mean, the I can answer that for you, Rich, is because Woodward and Judge aren't involved in it. Well, yeah, I mean that's probably true, but it, but it is a saving grace, isn't it? It's nice, it's nice to watch the women's team and fe- and and feel there's some real competence there and some real some real talent and and the sorts of minds that can actually make that team successful. And I think the same the same applies at, at academy level as well. I really enjoy watching watching the academy games when I can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nice to see United being. You know, this is going to sound really daft, but it is you know it's nice to see United being well represented by these teams. Yeah, and. Mm. Uh, there's just such a disconnect. There's such a disconnect between those those two things. One of the things that I love about the women's team is that, uh, you know, a lot a lot of these players by our standards will be well paid. The two American girls haven't come over for fifteen grand a year. They're, they're going to be well paid by 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 the average man's standards. They're not they're not getting life changing amounts of money to play football for Manchester United. They're, they're they're enjoying playing for Manchester United because it's Manchester United to a degree. Obviously, the salaries are nice. But I just feel like there's a, there's a clear pride in it and a, a clear want, you know, real real desire to to actually to win the the women's Premier League. Really, I, I feel that that there is the, the actual aim and ambition to do that, which is so it's it's so nice compared to the complete polar opposite situation with the with the first team. You mentioned the seven two, Rich. Uh, before we get onto questions, one last thing to mention. Uh... Liverpool lost seven goals to two against Aston Villa tonight. Aston Villa, who were, at least until the last day of last season, on the cusp of being relegated. Villa have started really well this season, but that was another freak of a result in this ridiculous COVID season. The difference between the two of these results tonight, United losing 6-1 and Liverpool losing 7-2, is that Liverpool have looked a little shaky this season in terms of their defence, but you back Jurgen Klopp to be able to make the changes that will shore them up or at least make them more competitive. You expect them to respond. Under Solskjaer, you're just not sure. You're just not quite convinced. And I'm concerned going into this bunch of fixtures if we don't get everyone back on the same page after this international break, just how ugly it could get. Yeah, I mean, the the, the fixtures are... The fixtures are awful. Um, mm. I think off the top of my head, we've got Newcastle away, PSG away, Chelsea at home, Leipzig at home, and Arsenal Ars- at home as well. Arsenal, in the space Arsenal of a at week. home. God. Yeah, and then away to um, Basahakir, and then I think after that it's Everton away in the league. Ugh. So, so <laughs> I don't want And I, so I, I, I can't. I tweeted. To, I tweeted today that that you know, show tell, give me your odds that Ollie will still be United manager on the eighth of November, which is when that the day after that run of games ended you know I don't feel like a, about Oli like I did about Mourinho I don't want him to lose his job I don't I don't envy him I, feel, I genuinely feel sorry for him I really feel sorry for him but I, I'm at the point now and I know we've been here before after Burnley but I, I'm kind of at the point now where feels like he's gonna have to do something incredible to get himself through that period because you know ultimately let's not kid ourselves that he will pay the price from above 
before anybody else does. Oh yeah, his head will be the first to go. And he's cheap. He's cheap to get rid of, isn't he? But I do believe that Woodward is, has been committed to Solskjaer, I think in the same way that he commits himself in terms of wanting, desperately wanting his decision to be right and to for that manager to succeed, but largely because it reflects on him. And I think the only reason that he's not pulled the trigger in the past for longer than he could have done is because that also reflects on him. And again, I think it will reflect on him and I, w- I, I would suspect it will go on longer than it should do. But ultimately, he will go because unlike Mourinho and unlike Van Gaal and unlike Moyes even, he's not on a lot of money compared to those guys. And he's he's relatively cheap to dump and relatively cheap to, you know, throw into the manager grinder and, and pull somebody else out. But even if we appointed Pochettino, all the same stuff's there. I mean, honestly, if I was Pochettino, I wouldn't come anywhere near United. And that's a really desperate thing to have to say, but... I wouldn't. I'd hope he's got more nous than that. Um, <laughs> well, so look, all I'm sitting here doing now is praying. It's praying that Ollie can. I think particularly he was an enormous amount of um, pressure before the, the back-to-back games against Spurs and City last season, wasn't he? And then he really pulled that out, and, and we had the, the sort of twenty, I think twenty-three or twenty-four match unbeaten run in the second half of last season. He's got a big turnaround in him somewhere, but this one's harder than they were. Oh, I mean, we're looking at a awful run of fixtures with a squad that is not up to approaching full fitness yes we'll have a couple of new players in there but obviously their fitness will be all over the shop in terms of where they are in terms of how ready they are to make a big difference to United's play immediately I mean again I want this to work out I'm so tired of going through this endless cycle of firing a manager bringing someone in who gets us top four, not quite seeing the proper levels of attention and investment to get us beyond a top four finish, seeing us finish outside the Champions League places and then repeating that cycle, bringing someone else in, qualifying for the Champions League, not quite pushing it as far as we really should be doing for a club of our quote-unquote stature and then seeing it all fall apart and then getting rid of the manager again. It's just such a tiring cycle and I'm exhausted by it I want nothing more than Ollie to take this team now give them a bit of a bollocking because some of them clearly deserve it and get them all back on the same page get his staff together and figure out a way through this neck these next few months because this is where he will either keep his you know this you know is his job will be on the line if it doesn't go well. You know, plenty of these players will outlast him by a long way, given the lengths of their contracts and the money that they're on. He will be the first to go if things don't go to plan. And I hope that doesn't happen. But as you said there, there's there's a lot that is going to need to go right to make that happen. And with that, Rich, shall we finish off with some questions? Do it. Nathan Thomas. No questions, just my thoughts and prayers for having to talk about it all. Our thoughts and <laughs> prayers, that's where we are. Hashtag thoughts and prayers. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, this was somewhat self-inflicted because you were happy to wait until tomorrow after the deadline. But I was like, no, no, we're going to let's, let's lance this boil now. I need to get it out of my system. Mm. I find it quite cathartic in moments like this. So I, I like getting it done, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think that I had the enthusiasm for it, but but there has been an outpouring of, of vomit from my mouth. I've never vomit. heard you like this, I must admit. But it is weird because I'm not, I'm not, I may have sounded it, but I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm, I'm just disillusioned. Maybe I'm angry that I'm not angry, if that makes sense. Angry that I almost didn't care today. I'm angry that it, that United don't ruin my weekend anymore. I'm angry that you, I don't have any hope for the future for United at all. I, I'm angry that I want to do other things when United are playing. Or I, I'm angry that I don't feel like I felt for the, all of my life about watching United. That just makes me. That makes me angry. It makes me sad. It's just a real shame and I think I think you will come back to what you've said I think you said it a couple of times tonight there's no hope that's the thing there's no there's no hope of something different happening next time supporting a football club is about the future isn't it it's about hope even if you support Newcastle and you've not won anything since 1950 odd and um, why do you keep going you keep going because you think maybe this year it'll be like Keegan's year or or Keegan's period or, or whatever you, you just you just hope the next thing will be better I think once you take that away from football fans, what is there left? And I know that's the point that a lot of Newcastle fans have got to. They've got to the point where, or they had got to that point, then they thought they're going to be taken over by the Saudis. 
So they actually started to invest in it again, only for that to be taken away again and end up back where, back where they were with no hope. And I, I don't even think we've got the prospect of anybody buying us, whereas they at least potentially have, whereas we, we don't have that. We don't have... There's no prospect of change at United. And what is the hope? And, I, and I, I've had this thought before, but for the first time, it really kind of feels like it makes sense. If United got relegated, I'm, I'm not sure I'd care. Not because I don't want United to go, go down, but it's almost like it would burn the place to the ground, wouldn't it? And, and we'd have to start again. Even if the guys didn't sell, they'd have to rip everything up and start again and with a different plan because the one that they'd had gone so badly wrong in a financial sense, which is what they care about, that they couldn't possibly continue with it anymore. And United could, could start again. Well, not start again, but but kind of reset. Mm. I'm honestly at the point where that United going down would hurt without a shadow of doubt, but I'd always be looking forward to it because it would just be this, there'd be an enormous purge of players, absolutely enormous purge of players. I'm sure there would be changes higher up the club. You know, we'd start again and, and, it, and I would at least have some hope again of something, whereas mm. I don't now. That wasn't even a question, by the way, Rich. No, I know. I'm just, I just, I'm just responding to sentiments that are passed on to me. Sure. What about this from James? Then can you hold an hour's silence in memory of that performance? I mean, what you can do because this podcast is probably going to be about an hour's in length. You can rewind, put it on mute, and listen to it again. You can. I mean, you're not doing anything else with your Monday, are you? You're not going to be waiting by the fax machine for some news of a Jaden Sancho deal. Uh, D. Wren, remember when our biggest worry was the third kit? That was a good day or so, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah i don't say that was our biggest worry but it, it was something piffling we could focus on wasn't it it was yeah. it was our it was our it was our first world problem of the day yeah at twitter john is there a feeling that pogba can't be dropped even allowing for his covid and no pre-season too many substandard performances he can't continue to be labeled world class if he doesn't show it consistently without wanting to make it seem like i'm giving pogba an easy ride i'm fully aware that so far he has been one of the least impressive performers by some distance in what we've seen in the three Premier League games so far I've not been impressed with his performance and he's playing like he's got far too much to prove like for instance in the first half when he tried to shield the ball from two players ended up giving it away and we got broken on you know he is trying far too hard at the moment and not succeeding enough at the basics it's just not good enough from him and we know this mitigation aside you need more from Paul Pogba. And I don't quite know if Ollie's the man to bring more out of him at this exact moment in time. And that's a worry. I almost think that a bit as big a problem, and, and I've been, I know you'll, you'll yawn because I've been harping on about this for months, but Bruno Fernandes has been awful. You know, aside from brilliant penalty and, you know, he's still got the potential to make something happen. But for the last, really since I would have said kind of early mid to mid July, he's been bad. Like 90% of the time, really bad. And, you know, Oli took him off at, at half-time today because he was really bad. I almost feel like certainly Pogba's playing badly, and I, and I agree, there's an issue there. But let's not let Pogba headlines distract, detract from the fact that, you know, our new superstar is has been terrible, and a number of others have been terrible. Well, Martial's had more red cards than he's had shots on target so far this season, so there's that. Even even you know Rashford scored that wonderful goal at Brighton, but but he's nowhere near himself. Nowhere near himself. Nobody's playing well. Absolutely nobody. We we were having the talk before as well. I think there's a wider point. We were having the talk before about um, sort of characters, weren't we? And and yeah. I, I, we were talking about Scott McTominay. But the United teams of old used to have players who were both very dedicated, committed, and hardworking, but also very tal- talented and tactically aware. And in a way, sort of Scott McTominay almost kind of is almost an image for me of of the issues of this current team in that he's a guy who isn't exceptionally talented, but is incredibly dedicated and hardworking and committed. And you you said to me, you could clearly see how much he was hurting about the whole thing. And but he's just an example of the fact that too, too many of our players only have one of the two things, I think. They're either they're either incredibly dedicated, incredibly hardworking, but not of the talent or particular character that that can make them really successful, or they're incredibly talented, but not able to impose themselves enough on the team and games and and whatnot. Well, I still think there's a there's an element to suggest that a lot of players on the pitch are almost looking to each other to try and g themselves mm. up. 
to inspire them or to lead them. Everyone seems to be looking over their shoulder for a guiding light in this team. And <laughs> you've got a team basically doing that entire thing. You know, there's especially with the way that games are played currently, when you can hear so many conversations and shouts and yells of frustration at each other, it's really noticeable how little this team talks to each other, or at least how the lack of leadership that you can audibly hear from them. Oli Espinasse, uh, regardless of the transfer situation, a better coach team doesn't lose 6-1. I mean, it's an outlier result. It was pretty terrible and we're fully deserving of it. It happens every now and then. Just look at Liverpool. <clears throat> Can't say it's a freak result either, as only the woodwork stopped us from getting beat four or five against Brighton. Yep. Think sadly it's time for Oli to go. Uh, I don't think that happens for a little while yet. And I think you'd agree on that, Rich, right? I don't think it's going to go now, no. I think I think it's more likely to be perhaps towards the end of that, that run, sort of end of October, start of November, if, yeah. he, if he does go. But, but as I say, I've got no appetite for that because it doesn't change anything. Turkey's wishing for Christmas at this point really isn't it it's not really going to help United Hong Kong I don't have any questions when we can't get rid of the board or at least they start investing and he sends us the Swiss Ramble tweet saying uh, how many clubs have benefited from more than 100 million pounds of funding from their owners over the last five years when United have paid 89 million pounds of our own money to our owners just in case you needed a a further reminder that the Glazers equal bad Judson Lee, obvious reaction is to call for Ollie out, but just how do we explain these wild swings in form under him? We seemingly go from world class to completely inept and back again every few months. It's completely bizarre and maddening. I think there's there's a fair way to explain it. I think we came back from lockdown in pretty good form and Ollie stumbled upon a really successful formula that teams for like the first month or so of lockdown really struggled to break down and it worked quite well, but then he ran that team into the ground and that's when we started to look less effective. And in terms of the, you know, the first half of last season up until that Burnley game, we were struggling because we didn't have any creativity in the middle of the park. That was solved by Bruno Fernandes and that made us more difficult to play against. And now you get to the start of this season, everyone's completely undercooked and several players are struggling for things that have may or may not been their fault, which is leaving us undercooked, underfit and completely underprepared for the season. I don't think it's rocket science. I think some of these issues are out of Solskjaer's control. Some of them definitely are because they're just not tactically aware or coach well enough to cope. Well, I mean, it, you know, just as... It... Just as as simply as you're two one down, you're getting absolutely ruined because your fullback's too far up the pitch. Stop your fullback's running too far up the f-ing pitch. For example, <laughs> so many f bombs this evening, Rich. Yeah, well, and you, you know. said you're not angry. I feel it. At Nathan Downey, it is spooky seasoned. What's your favourite spooky film? I don't really like spooky films. I used to like. I used oh, to like okay. Friday the 13th, a bit of Freddy Krueger. Mm. I really enjoyed, uh, it came out two years ago and the uh, follow-up is coming out in the next couple of weeks, I think. The Haunting of Hell House on Netflix a couple of years ago, or at least last year maybe? Yeah, yeah. That was incredible and I can't wait for the follow-up. In terms of movies, if you really want to freak yourself the hell out, go watch Hereditary on Midsummer by Ari Aster because they're both incredible and will really mess you up. Wow. Right, the last question of the evening. Uh, Daz Greer, a fish rots from the head down whilst Ole and all the players aren't blameless. We're just seeing the same cycle we've seen time and time again into these owners. And there's a real theme going on tonight. There's an utter disconnect oh. between what they and the fans want. How do we change that or do we just have to accept mediocrity? I mean, this is a discussion that we've had at these flashpoint moments frequently, really, isn't it, Rich? And the answer is not easy. I do wonder, as we said before, whether or not the fact that season ticket holders may or may not be, uh, may be less willing to part with, you know, six, seven hundred pounds per season for a season ticket once we get back to something approaching normality in our lives, whether that will cause them to rethink. You know, it's going to take something big for the course and the trajectory that this team in terms of its long-term path is currently on to shake us from that to really change where we're going as a team and a club and I don't know what that is I don't know if long-term protests are really going to reap benefits there's an argument to say potentially they could I don't know whether stage sit-in protest or walkout protest will have a big effect. I don't know whether or not renewing season tickets will really have an effect. But what I do know is that until the Glazers are out or Woodward and Judge are out, nothing's going to change. Not long-term enough. No. And certainly not to make us a real Premier League title contender or a force in Europe. Uh, no, 
No, I agree. Oh, cool. Well, we'll leave it there. I mean, Rich, do you feel any better after this? After this bloodletting? I don't know. I, I felt fine before it, and now now I just feel I almost feel, I feel worse. It's like um, <laughs> it's like when you have a <clears throat> when you when you have a nap in the day and you just walk, wake up feeling dreadful. That's that definitely oh. happens to me anyway. I mean, I'm I'm loving naps at the minute. I must say, I've had several naps last week, and they were gorgeous. I'm not good at I'm not good at day napping. I, I I'll have a nap, then I just wake up and feel absolutely dreadful for the rest of the day. But yeah, it's kind of been like that. I think. Yeah, I mean, the trick is to be tired all the time. Yeah, that's true. That that that, that would work. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think we needed to purge. I, I I don't think I needed to have this conversation. I don't think I needed to make this this podcast. But 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 we're supposed to talk to people about what the issues are at United, aren't we? And the fact that they don't affect me like they used to doesn't mean that I don't get or we don't get animated about the fact they exist. It's just, you know, for me, the anger is just that the connection to the club, the feeling that I have about the club has been changed over a period of time from the thing that used to make me really happy and really proud and and really kind of drive my week. It's now something that I've almost switched off to because it because it became so frust- it's become so frustrating and, and and sort of ongoingly competent saying saying I don't care I clearly do care but it, 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 all this comes from these are the reasons why people's perceptions of the club and the way they feel about the club have changed a lot it just is what it is isn't it but we're here to talk about it aren't we so that's what we've done well that's the deal we made with the devil five years ago yep and here we are sick yeah. <laughs> season. Yeah. Let's round it off there, Rich. We've talked for long enough, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty to talk about over the coming fortnight before we get back in action against Newcastle. Don't know about you, but I literally can wait. Yeah, I, 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 this is one of the things, actually. One of the things that that's changed is that even 18 months ago or so, the, the international breaks were shit, weren't they? They were terrible. Just <clears throat> just this this dirge of international football that you had to wait for United to come round again, even if they weren't playing particularly well. But now it's like... The last, certainly the last two or three international breaks that have come during the season, I've actually looked forward to and enjoyed as a break from having to think about United. So yeah, that's what kind of where I am. It's we've got two weeks off now. Mm. Not to, but we'll probably pod, but we've got to, we've got two weeks off actually having to to watch United or to really dissect what's going on, and I'm quite looking forward to it. Yeah, and in the meantime, everyone, look after yourselves, as our good friend Misa Kwonga would say, stay hydrated. And not only that, watch the under-23s <laughs> in the women's team, because they're really fun. They're really fun. And even the 18s as well, the under-18s as well. Just just go just go, go full immersion. Exactly. Go full on top red. Watch any other club than the first team, maybe for the next month. And I'm sure, I, I assure yeah. you, you will feel better about your life and indeed everyone else's life. Yeah. Anyway, Rich, let's call it a night there. Thanks for sticking with me and being by me, by my side, all all days, and especially this day. That, that makes it sound like this is the end of a of a marriage or something, doesn't it? Well, it's the end of about eighty minutes of recording after that six one defeat. So it feels like about that feels appropriate. Put it that way. It does it does feel like a long relationship, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the more poignant and interesting relationships at this stage of my uh, existence. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, it's been swell, but it's time to part. Yeah, well, just just until next week, of course. Like you know. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, all right. Yep. Cheers, babes. Love you. All right, thanks everyone. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We really appreciate it. Take care of yourselves over this next fortnight. But before we go, don't forget, as we mentioned previously in this podcast, any and all reviews or ratings that you can provide across iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, or Spotify. If you could subscribe or Acast, are hugely welcome and very much appreciated. And in the meantime, if you want to chat to us about anything United-related over the course of the next international break, don't forget you can do so by following us on Twitter. You can find me at RedVoicesMUFC. You can find Rich at RichRedVoices and me at you and like this and our blog will be over at redvoices.net please try and look after yourselves over the next 13 days or so it's going to be a bit of a rough ride we may sign some players and it looks like we're definitely going to sign some players and we may not sign that big one that we wanted all for the rest of the summer but in the end it might be all right take care lots of love bye-bye <laughs>